Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When it comes to Christian music, there are many different styles, and different people have different personal preferences regarding what kinds or kinds of Christian music they prefer. Some people like very ancient and traditional Christian music, such as Gregorian chants from Western Europe, or, or from Eastern Europe, the, the chants of the various Eastern Orthodox churches. Some Lutheran Christians have strong preferences for the early Lutheran hymns and music by composers and writers such as Martin Luther, Michael Pretorius, Philip Nikolai, Nicholas Herman, Johann Kruger and Paul Gerhardt, Melchior Teschner and Melchior Volpius. Others enjoy the traditional hymns that arose sometime after that, in later in, in England and in America, hymns that were very often influenced by Baptist and Methodist traditions of out of the Great Awakening movements and the revivals. In the 20th century, there was an explosion of many various different kinds of Christian music. The style that is known as gospel music even became its own style of music, even, even today now that doesn't always have anything to do with a Christian message or Christianity. And many other styles of Christian music also emerged. Christian pop or Christian contemporary music, Christian rock, even Christian heavy metal music, Christian rap. There are so many different styles of Christian music and so many different styles or, or ways of, of conducting a worship service that during the 20th century and throughout today, there have been discussions and even, even arguments and disagreements about what is the best and most appropriate kind of music to use for worship and, and style of a worship service. And those discussions have sometimes raged to the point that these discussions have been called worship wars in the la last part of the 20th century and still today. Well, the reason that, that those worship wars have raged in the past and sometimes continue to flare up today is because in the Bible, God does not command specific musical instruments or a certain style of music or a certain format of the worship service for God's people to use in their public worship. Now, in the Bible, we do have many descriptions of, of various instruments that were used to praise God. And we see a, described, especially in the Old Testament, a variety of different musical instruments. We saw a number of them in our Psalm of the Day, Psalm 150. And in the Psalms and also in, in the Book of Chronicles and, and Kings, we see mentioned a number of different musical settings that were used by those musicians in the temple and in the tabernacle for worshiping God. And we don't always know exactly what all of those words in, in ancient Hebrew are referring to, whether it's different kinds of instruments. We can make our best guesses at what they might be, similar to instruments that we're familiar with today. There are also many different terms for musical settings that we really just have no idea what they mean, like getit or selah which probably refer to some kind, of, some kind of musical form or setting or tempo or tune, but because only those words have been passed down to us today and not the musical notations themselves, we can really only guess at what they mean. 
one of the, one of the most well-known and most respected Christian musicians of the, the modern era, or at least of the past several centuries, is the 18th century composer and organist, Johann Sebastian Bach, who was also a Lutheran. In Bach's personal Bible, he made a number of notes um, just as he read his Bible for, for personal devotional use. And here, in this chapter of 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 25, that, that we're considering for our meditation this morning, Bach wrote this note in his Bible. He wrote, This chapter is the true foundation of all God-pleasing church music. Now, even if even if the cantatas and the oratorios and the fugues and, and other music that Bach wrote are, are not your personal favorite musical style, it's still worth our time to follow the lead of this Christian musician and to see what God teaches us about music and the use of music in ministry and worship here in this chapter of the Word of God. And this whole section in the book of 1 Chronicles, from, from chapter 23 to chapter 29, we see that in his advanced age, when, when King David had decided to resign from being king and, and he made his son Solomon the next king, David was also concerned about putting in place arrangements for, for many different aspects of the, the public life of God's people. So he gave instructions about um, about the different divisions for the, the army and the different units and, and officers and captains and commanders. And he also made arrangements for the building of the temple. David wanted to build the temple himself, but God told him that because he had too much blood on his hands as, as a, a warrior king and a king who had even commanded a, an, an unlawful murder to cover up his own sin, God told David that he would not be able to build the temple himself. But God told David that his son, Solomon, would be the one who would build the temple. But even though David wasn't permitted by God to build the temple himself, he made all the arrangements that he could think of that would be necessary for the building of the temple. And so he made instructions for, for how it, it should be built, and he made arrangements for all the building materials, and especially he also made arrangements for the worship that would go on in the temple. And so the, the primary form of that worship was the sacrifices that God required his people to bring to the temple in, in, in payment for their sins and every day, morning and evening, for all the sins of the people. And so David made sure that the, the priests were all arranged in their various groups and all the priests came from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of the people of Israel. This tribe that God had set aside for that special purpose of being priests and, and other uh, worship leaders and assistants in the service of the worship of God in the tabernacle. And one of the other main things that David focused on arranging was the ministry of music and the preaching of God's word that would happen in the temple. And so here in chapter 25, we see David making those specific arrangements and as we read there in those verses, David was not just concerned about the style of music that they would play or sing, but he was primarily concerned about these musicians conveying the word of God to God's people. And that's really what this whole chapter is about. We see that the lists of, of those many different names that, 
Many of them are, almost all of them are unfamiliar to us and very difficult to pronounce if we're, if we're just looking at the names. But the key things, the key words that we read in that section are the fact that these musicians were ministers. They were serving in the ministry of the tabernacle. That ministry is God's service to his people. We think of usually the, the priests in the Old Testament as representing the people of God to God by praying for the people, by bringing sacrifices, making the, the sacrifices when the people would bring sacrificial animals. The priests were responsible for, for slaughtering the animals, for draining the blood of the sacrifice, for sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the altar, um, and then for burning the body of the sacrificial animal on the altar. But another important responsibility that God gave to the priests in the Old Testament was also to proclaim God's word to God's people. Yes, we, we usually think about the prophets as having that special duty of speaking from God, the message that God wanted them, wanted God's people to hear. But the priests also performed that responsibility on a daily basis as they conducted their service at the temple. And so in this section, we focus especially on those words that, that emphasize this aspect of the ministry of these Levites, these worship leaders of the people of Israel. In verse 1 of, of our reading, we see that David and the commanders of the army set apart some of these men, the sons of Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, it says, for the ministry of prophesying. And that ministry of prophesying of speaking God's word was accompanied by music, by harps, lyres, and cymbals. And then about Asaph, we read that in verse 2, he prophesied under the king's supervision. Even though elsewhere in the Bible, his musical ability is emphasized that he was one of the ones entrusted with playing the cymbals in that musical accompaniment of the, the worship at the temple. But yet, his most important duty was as a prophet speaking God's word to God's people. Also about Jeduthun, in verse 3, we read that he prophesied using the harp in thanking and praising God. And in verse 4, among, after the, the list of the, the names of the many sons of Haman, it says that Haman was the king's seer, another term for a prophet. He was among those responsible for speaking God's word for using the, the Old Testament books that had already been collected, the books of Moses, where God had recorded his law and his covenant, his promises of grace and faithfulness to his people. These men were responsible for reading those words and proclaiming those words to God's people. And then about all of those who were appointed, all those 288, it says that they were appointed and they were put under the supervision of these three leaders for the ministry at the house of God, together with these playing of these musical instruments. And then in verse 7, it says, all of them were trained and skilled in music, not just music for music's sake, but in music for the Lord. Everything that they did was for the Lord, as God called them to be ministers to proclaim his word to his people. But as we think about music in our church, 
and in our worship services. We might not always have this same kind of mentality as we think about the, the music that we sing here and the, the accompanying music that is played here in our worship services and in our church. I think if, if you're like me, sometimes you might just simply take the, the music that is played and that we sing for granted, that we don't always give it much thought or attention. <clears throat> we don't always give it the, the vital focus that it deserves, especially as we see the great importance that God placed on it here in this chapter and in other parts of his word, that God wanted music to be an essential part of his people's worship because it was a vehicle for conveying the truths of his word, the promises of his love, the promises that he would send a savior for the sins of the whole world. Sometimes our, our pride or focusing on, on ourselves and our own personal preferences takes takes our, the first priority in our minds when we think about music here in worship and in the church. We think more sometimes about what we want and the, the certain style or the certain kind of music that we prefer rather than thinking on necessarily about the, the person who is sitting in the, in the pew three rows behind us or in front of us or next to us and perhaps what style of music they might prefer or, or, or what style of music might convey God's word most clearly to them. It's very easy for us to get caught up like this in, in regard to, to music and worship or in any other avenue or, or area of our life because of our sinfulness and our natural sinful self-centeredness. But the good news for us is that even though we have sinned against our God by focusing so often only on ourselves and on our own personal preferences and desires and wants when it comes to, to worship and music and in ministry, the wonderful news is that Jesus has died for these sins of ours also. That Jesus paid for these and all of our sins, all of our selfish, sinful self-centeredness. All of those sins have been nailed to the cross with Jesus and they are completely wiped away. So that when God looks at us, he, he does not see our self-focus, but he sees the perfect selflessness and self-sacrifice of Jesus. And the wonderful news for us is that God brings that wonderful assurance of his love and forgiveness to us to assure us and comfort us in so many different ways. When we remember our baptisms as we were blessed to be able to do last week, we remember that, that God adopted us into his family and that he washed away all of our sins through the washing, the waters of baptism. When we receive the, the body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper as we are about to do this morning, we have that, that tangible assurance that Jesus gave up his own life into death for us to take away all of our sins. When we hear God's word read from the lectern and the, and the pulpit and proclaimed to us in our worship services, that's another avenue that, that God assures us that all of our sins are forgiven and that we really have been saved by Jesus and that eternal life is ours. And another wonderful avenue that God proclaims that love and forgiveness and the assurance of our salvation to us is through music. When we sing those wonderful hymns that convey these truths of the gospel. And the, the wonderful blessing that God gives to us is that 
so often music helps us to retain those truths in our minds and in our hearts. Think about how easy it is for, for you to remember a song that, that you hear repeated on the radio, a, a popular new song that the, the radio station likes to play over and over again. Think about how, how that tune and, and those words so often easily get stuck in your mind. And now think about the blessing that we have of those wonderful Christian songs that convey these truths of God's love that, that have been embedded, imprinted in our hearts and in our memories. Think about songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, assurance that even though we were lost and blind and dead in our sins, God saved us, he rescued us, he called us out of that darkness of sin into the light of his love and salvation. And those truths of God's love are imprinted on our hearts and in our memories because of the blessing of, of the music of that song. Think about the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which gives us the, the assurance that God is with us through all the storms of life, through all the hardships and temptations and trials. God is our refuge and strength, and that he defeats all the temptations and attacks of the devil. Think about so many of the other wonderful songs that we have for every different season of the church here, which bring home to us all the gospel truths that God wants us to think about in those different seasons, about the birth of Jesus, about his revelation, the, the revelation that he is the savior of all the world, about his sufferings and death during Lent, about his resurrection from the dead during the Easter season, which assures us that because he lives, we also will live. And all the other wonderful hymns and songs that convey the truths of God's word to us. That blessing of music helps those truths to stay in our hearts. And when, the, when we call those, just those melodies to mind, we also call to mind all those truths of God's love for us. And also a, a wonderful blessing that, that God reveals to us in this section of his word is the truth that there is no one set form that God wants us to use for our music and worship. We just sang a song before our worship service with a tune that was composed with, within the last several decades. And we've also regularly sing songs in our, our worship services with tunes and words that were composed hundreds of years ago, some even more than a thousand years ago. Think about the blessings that we have of that rich heritage of music. Music that does not simply serve to glorify itself or glorify the composer, but that seeks to serve us with God's word. And really that's the main thing that God wants us to think about when we think about music in worship. He wants us to think about each other, how we can serve each other, how we can build up and encourage one another with music. And so I know that, that all of us here today have different ideas about what the ideal worship service here in this church would look like. And it's a good thing to talk about and to share those ideas and to discuss uh, how, we can, how we can include new and different music in our worship services. But let's always keep in mind what God wants us to ultimately think about, how we can build each other up in the best way, using music, 
to serve each other and to strengthen and encourage each other with God's word. And so in that light, we close our sermon this morning with again meditating on the words of Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Amen.